Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Action Fanatics, welcome to the best Van Damme edition of the Bulletproof Podcast in history. I am your host, Chris the Brain. Joining me, Chad Cruz. And Chad, it's a big week on BulletproofAction.com. It's the best Van Damme week ever. It is, and it's a week that we look forward to each and every year. Uh, what are we going to write about? Which movies are we going to discuss? And how many times will Jean-Claude's ass be shown on our website? It's big, big time stuff. It is big time stuff. And you, if we have big time stuff, we need a big time guest. And it is the one and only, the toy man himself, Chris Petrillo, back here on the Bulletproof Podcast. That's right. Bigger than Jean-Claude's ass. I am back. <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> but not not as well defined. Not as well defined. Definitely not as well defined. <laughs> and we are going to be talking about on the podcast Bloodsport. And this is actually something that we turn to our Twitter followers uh, to, to uh, ascertain which ep- uh, movie we'd be discussing on this episode. And we gave them a couple options there of some of the classic Jean-Claude Van Damme films. And Bloodsport ran away with it. Wasn't really a big surprise. Um I think for most people, I know for me personally, this was my introduction to Jean-Claude Van Damme. He had been in, in No Retreat, No Surrender as the villain, but I didn't see that movie until years after its release. So for me, personally, Bloodsport was the the the, the first time I ever saw Jean-Claude Van Damme. How about you, uh, Chad? Yeah, absolutely for me. And I, I love your pun there with ascertain. Um, and Bloodsport, it... It, for me, it's the defining the defining moment in movie for Van Damme because it like it brought him out to the world. It showed him off. It, he did everything that he does in his entire career after this, like comes from Bloodsport. So it, it's the first time I saw him and the movie that I most remember him for. Yeah, and definitely the first, you know, obviously his first starring role, the first chance to be an action hero. And Chris, you know, you, you got to wonder how did Van Damme steer away from, you know, we just talked about on our last episode, Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. And that was pretty much his peak. Uh, you could say the same thing for a guy like Jeff Speakman who came out with perfect weapon. And then after that, everything kind of slowly degraded for him, but Van Damme avoided that. And this was just really the launching pad for his whole career. Yeah. This kicked everything right off. You know, I had seen him in no retreat, no surrender before this. So to me, he was just the bad Russian guy going good. But not only did Bloodsport kick things off for him and lead him into stuff like Kickboxer and Double Impact, but 
Bloodsport was the impetus for a lot of similarly themed movies. You know, we get a lot of things like Blood Fist that came out of this. So not only for Van Damme himself, but it just basically set the stage for the martial arts craze and the direct to video craze of the eighties and mid up to the mid nineties. Yeah. I think Van Damme and Seagal both really helped give a lot of martial artists work in Hollywood. Um, albeit on a, a lower level, but still plenty of steady work. I mean, Don, the dragon Wilson, I'm sure was able to, uh, enjoy quite the lifestyle once he got into the world of, uh, of Hollywood. And that, uh, that lower quality level is something that Van Damme and Seagal would soon find themselves in. That's true too. Yeah. They're in that dollar tree, Ben, that you always talk about now. Affordable action, as I like to call it. <laughs> that's a, that's a very classy way to put it. And we are, Going to get into this right now. So this, you know, we've, we're celebrating Van Damme, the best Van Damme week ever. He's going to actually turn 60 years old, which is kind of, I don't know about you guys, but that makes me feel old. He was born October 18th, 1960 in Brussels, Belgium, hence his nickname, Muscles from Brussels. And again, we're talking blood sports. So let's get right into it. And one of the things I love about it is right from the start, we get to see all the, the competitors who will be fighting. Uh, fighting in the Kumite, and it really gives you a, a like this is a worldwide competition. Uh, it makes it feel real big time. They really build up the Kumite, Chad. Yeah, and it's like one of my favorite things that they, that you could do in a film like this because it, it it showcases all the different countries, all the different competitors, but it also showcases all the different types of fighting styles that you're going to see because you have guys that are training that are just like uh, uh, beating the shit out of coconuts. And then there's like the sumo guy who's just like throwing people around. And then you, you've just got so many different things, guys breaking boards and the guy throwing the crazy knees. And you're like, he's definitely going to lose later. But uh, but you get, you get a chance to, to see all these people uh, at their peak in training before they show up and get absolutely handled by, uh, by the main stars. Yeah. And Chris, we actually get to see some of the main stars in this like opening credit sequence. We see Chong Lee. Uh, breaking the ice and then we see jackson working the heavy bag we also get to see a future jean-claude van damme uh, opponent in he will be tong po and kickboxer michael kesey or michelle kesey i'm sure it's how, how you really pronounce his name who as we know was jcvd's uh, best buddy who was breaking in with him at the same time thanks to our good friends over there at the cannon group uh, Bull Young, obviously a very intimidating force in Bruce Lee movies before landing here. And then Jackson was uh, my uh, close personal friend, Donald Gibb, who I was actually on local television with once when I was a youth. Oh, let's look at that little that. fun fact. And I like that you said they were breaking in together because <laughs> famously Jean-Claude and Michael Kesey are in the crowd at the beginning of the breaking movie. That's right. I are. never met a pun I didn't like. Very good. Very well done. So we see all these guys, but now we got to see the main man. And that, of course, is Frank Dukes, who is played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's working out at the gym. Um, he's in the military. Uh, there's some uh, little military errand boy coming looking for him because the colonel wants to see him because the colonel's got wind that this guy, this uh, asset, this government asset, Frank Dukes, is off to Hong Kong and they do not want him to go. Quite an interesting scene here, Chad, as we already get to see Frank Dukes really wants to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, it's kind of a weird setup for the character to, to start the film because um, we see all these guys kind of training, uh, preparing for this, you know, th this tournament that's going to be coming up. 
And then we see him training in this little gym. And then all of a sudden the military dude shows up, says, Colonel wants to talk to you. And we, 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 we get it pretty quickly that Frank Dukes, he needs to escape. He's got to get off so he can get out and, uh, and get to this tournament in Hong Kong. But we're really not sure what his job is, no. why the government needs him, why he's so important, and why he's got to sneak away to Hong Kong. Like, what is it about this tournament that he has to hide from? So it, it's, it's interesting, I guess. It, it kind of has like this, it piques your curiosity a bit, but it's also like watching it now as a 30-some-year-old, I'm like, what the hell are they trying to do here? Right. And the obviously the big glaring thing is, you know, he's supposed to be this super American soldier or agent or whatever. Why does he sound the way he sounds? <laughs> right. Well, that's just a, that's a Van Damism, right? That's just a, the Brussels from, or the, uh, the muscles from Brussels. Has he ever actually played a man from Belgium in a film? Uh, probably only, only JCVD, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably the only one. So that's cool. Yeah, he's always French Canadian or Louisiana French or who knows what. Um, Guile. Well, yeah, that's there. You go. <laughs> yes, there Which you is, go. Coincidentally, I mean, you know, Bloodsport is very, very similar to the whole layout of Street. It might even be more Street Fighter than Street Fighter was. Movie, yeah, you're the great point. Well, it's, isn't it? Uh, Mortal Kombat wasn't many. Uh, Johnny Cage was based off of Van Damme. I thought. Yes, also true. So yeah, you talked about you know how Bloodsport influenced movies, but it, yeah, also kind of affected the world of video games as well because it became very popular with with the fighting games. Uh, before Frank Dukes goes off to Hong Kong, though, he goes to pay a visit to his Shidoshi, uh, Senzo Tanaka, uh, who is played by Roy Cha, who uh, people may recognize. He's Lao Shea from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, but he's taken ill, and so Frank's there to, to just visit him and let him know, you know, hey, I'm going to go fight on your behalf at the Kumite. But here we get a, a little bit of flashback and one of the greatest child actors of our time, Chad Cruz. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little bit of a flashback, like a, like a 45-minute flashback scene. Uh, it might, I think it, it's got to be like the longest flashback scene of any film I've ever seen. But – but he's, he's, yeah, he's sitting there talking to Shidoshi. He says, you know, I'm going to go fight in this Hong Kong deal. Um, I can't really tell whether Shidoshi's excited about it or just like worried, but either way, he's dying. So go right. do it. <laughs> and this flashback starts with uh, uh, a teen, uh, I don't know, what, 12, 13 year old Frank Dukes. And yeah. running he, with the wrong crowd. My God. He is, I don't know who this actor, acting child is, but. This boy should be put in the Smithsonian as <laughs> like the worst actor in the history of, of American cinema. I'll be honest. When I was younger and I first saw this movie, I thought that he was mentally handicapped <laughs> because of the way he delivered his lines and just that wooden look that he had on his face, just like he didn't know what was going on while he was in the movie. I thought that they were trying to depict Frank as being a little slow behind the curve, a little slow behind the eight ball when he was younger. And that would, that would lead into, you know, like the, uh, the magical qualities of uh, ninjutsu, like, right. You know, like he's the first time we meet him, he's, he's a special kid. And then these martial sciences really teach him how to, how to kind of focus and hone in on, on 
other aspects of his uh, of his body and his personality and stuff. And he kind of throws all that away, right? He does. Am I way, am I way off? <laughs> I'm actually looking up the actor right now. His name is Pierre Raffini, and this is his only credit on IMDb. But if you were to Google him, he has a fan club group on Facebook. Is that the fan club you're in charge of, Chad? I mean, I, yeah. It's like, okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah, we, we all wear like baseball caps with the, the bills cut off. Cut off, yeah. Yeah, the cut off bill. It's really cool. Does, doesn't he have like clashing Giants things yes, to it? Yes, a New York Giants jersey and a San Francisco Giants baseball cap. Uh, he probably had Andre the Giant underoos on. Who knows? It's uh, possible. So yeah, th- this flashback, like you said, it, it kind of covers a lot of ground because we see young Frank, we see it with his parents, we see him training with uh, Tanaka's son Shingo, uh, we find out Shingo dies at some point, um, and then that's where Frank has to convince uh, Tanaka to continue to train him like he was his own son. Uh, and, you know, the great thing about the flashback is the epic training montage. And the Bloodsport training montage you know, it doesn't beat the Rocky Four one, but it's it's up there. It's got to be top five of all uh, training montages. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Bloodsport has whatever it lacks in story or character development or any of that stuff. It 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 makes up for with the training montages and the music and the score and everything is so cool. Like we, you basically watch uh, however long this flashback is. It eighty percent of it is Frank getting the crab beat out of him by this 45 year old man. And, you know, that would be abuse nowadays, but back then it was just like, you know, here's your comeuppance, you know, <laughs> like, like we're teaching you, you're welcome. While I bloody your nose on a daily basis. And I, 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 for some reason, I thought I remember Shingo, did Shingo like die in Vietnam or? I can't recall how he died. I just remember them looking at his picture and discussing everything. I thought they said something about a war. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. But it, that was how I always pictured it in my head, like from years ago. It was like, oh, he fought in Vietnam and died. Like, get... Well, it is very possible it was Vietnam. I'd have to go back and look. And I, actually, the movie is on Netflix at this point, so I can go back and watch it rather easily. But the whole story from the real Frank Dukes that led to the creation of this film was that it was in 1975. So it would have been right around yeah. that post-Vietnam War time. So yeah, very could've... easily it could have been. He could have slipped that bit of actual like historical fact into his lie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that helps helps make the lie seem <laughs> less like a lie. That's true. All right, so you know we get the training montage. Frank is now officially going to Hong Kong, and he's on a bus, I believe, and that's where he first encounters Ray Jackson, who's Donald Gibb, Chris's good friend. Um, but it, it, they don't really uh, chat until they get to the hotel, and they. We talked about earlier a little bit of video games, and they hit it off over a video game. And, uh, you know, we get a good little interaction between those two. Some some nice chemistry between these two. Yes, JCVD becomes the Gilligan to Don Gibbs Skipper. Oh, look at nice uh, nice analogy there. Uh, we also meet Janice, uh, the reporter who's hanging out at the hotel bar, asking guys questions about the Kumite. And, uh, right in plain view of everybody. Right. Oh yeah. Out loud, not protecting her sources, not and you know, these guys, even though they're trying to blow her off, if they're sworn to secrecy for this tournament, they're not doing a very good job either. 
No, yeah, that's not some kind of secret, like, deep throat meeting, uh, you know, trying to find out what's going on with Richard Nixon. This is just, yeah, we're just at the bar. Well, there's a few of the guys who are hoping for a deep throat meeting, but, you know. Hey. <laughs> Janice is there asking questions. She's trying to get some answers about this secret fighting tournament. And uh, the only guy who's willing to take her off to the side uh, <laughs> and give her some info. Uh, some input, perhaps? Some input. Uh, he's just not the kind of guy you want to be around. So that happens a little bit later. But, yeah, she's, she's there kind of asking questions to a bunch of guys who don't want to talk uh, or can't. Speak English, one of the two. Um, speaking of which, what is she doing in Hong Kong? Is she only there to cover the fight? She must have. Yeah, I don't know what, what hot lead she got that this Kumite was going on, but yeah, she seemed that's her her goal is to get this story about the Kumite. You would have thought they would have sent someone with some language skills. Well, I mean, she might just be a freelance. She just may be doing this that's on true. her own, and, and this is how she's going to get her big-time job because she got what all these other people couldn't do. So maybe that's it. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about people asking questions, though. Let's talk about Helmer and Rollins, uh, the uh, government guys who are looking for Frank Duke. So they stop at the uh, Tanaka house, and Mrs. Tanaka kind of plays dumb with them, which irritates Rollins, who is played by the one and only... Forrest Whitaker, and this is one of the first times I probably saw Forrest Whitaker as well. I would think. How about you, Chad? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I'm sure I've, you know, late, years later I've seen him in an earlier film, but this had to have been the first time I saw him. Um, I don't remember their names being Helmer and Rollins. I want to always remember him as Forrest Whitaker and the old guy, because uh, <laughs> they're uh, I don't know if you ineptitude is is what I would say, but they they're searching for Frank. And they know where he's going. They know he's going to Hong Kong for a secret fighting tournament. But that, yeah, they waste their time. And they're like to confirm terrible. It. Yeah, they're terrible at finding him. They uh, had a whole Keystone Cops routine going on right up until when they confront Frank later in the film. Yeah, and they have those wicked tasers that we'll see later. And uh, and that's when Helmer like panics. He's like, "You got to help us now." What what exactly? Uh, who are these guys? Who do they work for? Are they just government agents? Yeah, they were di- they were dispatched by the the U.S. government or the army to. Are they army Frank. intelligence? I suppose, but I that's a, 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 a oxymoron if they're army intelligence. And Forrest Whitaker, you guys, you know, had remembered him, uh, not remembered him from anything prior to this, but as a youth, uh, my pop culture obsessed youth, which stemmed into my adulthood, he was uh, the bully that befriended Arnold on a later episode of different strokes. There you go. So yeah, I'm sure we I probably did see it, but it just didn't, didn't register with me as much as blood sport, probably for good reason. All right. So we get, uh, Frank and, uh, Jackson meet Mr. Victor Lynn and he is their handler kind of assigned to all the North American fighters. And he's going to take them around, um, and show them where they have to go. And this is where we get the very famous. Okay. USA, uh, guy who, then uh, proceeds to allow them to go in, and we go through this seedy corridor in this underground world uh, to get to the Kumite Arena. And this is one of those situations where I probably saw this movie, and you know how when you retell a story, things can be embellished over time? Mm -hmm. This was one of those ones where I'm like, oh yeah, they go down this corridor, and I think there's like a 
guy giving abortions in one of the, like, no, that never (laughs) happened. But like I, in my brain after like, just trying to paint this horrible picture of this, like, you know, the guy's got a coat hanger and some bleach. No, that wasn't in there. But you know, things get embellished, as I said. So they go into this and we get to the uh, little check-in and we get to see the dim mock. Chad Cruz, can you do the death touch? Uh, It's on my bucket list to learn it. Uh, I don't know how long it takes. Uh, I haven't looked on YouTube yet. If there's a YouTube video how to do the dim mock, I'll probably watch that and and learn it. But beyond that, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I have the ability at this point in my life to learn it. And Chris, this is where, you know, Chong Lee says one of his very few lines in the whole movie, but it's a, it's a memorable one. Yes. When he says, uh, the brick, no hit back, which is a nice allusion to the famous line from Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon, which co-starred Bolo Young when Bruce referenced that boards don't hit back. Right. And Bolo looks like he barely aged from Enter the Dragon to Bloodsport, which is the man was frozen in time. So at this point, our good friends Helmer and Rollins have made it to Hong Kong themselves, and they go to see Inspector Chen, who was played by Philip Chan. And interesting enough, Philip Chan and Bolo would reunite with Jean-Claude Van Damme for Double Impact. Um, and, you know, they Inspector Chen is trying to just kind of blow him off, kind of like Mrs. Tanaka did, but eventually kind of is like, okay, yeah, we'll see what we can do. Um and now we get to uh, a part that Chad, you had you had kind of alluded to earlier with Hussein trying to pick up Janice at the bar, um, and good old Frank is in the right place at the right time if you're Janice. Yeah, Hussein's got this. Uh, he's probably seen Janice kind of uh, bouncing around the bar a little bit and asking questions, and he finally decides that he's going to spill the beans and. Uh, <laughs> take her upstairs and <laughs> give her some information. Right. Uh, Spill his old, beans. Yeah. Give her, give her the old one, two punch. Um, but Frank and Jackson kind of overhear it. They see it going on. Cause Janice, you know, she's there. She's a, she's a serious reporter. She's not looking to, for any hanky panky. So she, uh, so, so Frank steps in and he does what any good Samaritan, uh, fine gentleman, uh, would do. He gambles her, body right uh, it was a, a rather coin, awkward courtship on a coin trick that chris angel would be like huh you know like uh I, yeah it's it's a very weird scene because because van dam walks up and he's like you hold this coin i'll take it from your hand otherwise if i don't get it you could just go do whatever you want with her <laughs> and she kind of gives him the look like are you kidding me that would not fly on social media today it doesn't no. work that way no no, uh, but you know, it worked. So, uh, you know, whew, kind of thing situation for Janice, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Frank, it, it gets, he shows off some more of his skills. You know, we got the montage earlier where he shows him like grabbing goldfish and shit out of the water and he's showing the speed. Um, so now we get to see it in action. He grabs a coin out of Hussein's hand. You know, he's so quick that the camera doesn't pick it up and then he gets to do his little wink and, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah. And then Hussein gets to look like a fool. So I wonder if he'll fight later. Right. Yeah. And there you go. And that's a, a great point that we're going to get into as well. But, and out of this, Frank then gets a dinner date with Janice. So, you know, he, he's the big winner here. Uh, Frank Dukes. Uh, now 
it's almost time to get to Kumite day one. Jackson goes into Frank's room to say, hey, you know, the bus is waiting for us. And there we see the splits. The first time we see him here in Bloodsport, he did, again, do them in uh, um, No Retreat, No Surrender. Uh, but again, if this was your first time seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme, this is the first time you saw Jean-Claude Van Damme do his amazing splits, which were one of his trademarks, Chad. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote an article on the best uh, the very best splits that Van Damme does in his, in his films. And I had to narrow it down to like 10. So he does them so often that, that there was a massive quantity of, of ones to choose from, but yeah, the, uh, the elastic tainted man, he just like every film <laughs> in some way or another, he's going to put his legs up on something and spread them out. So, and this is a cool scene because Jackson at this point, he hasn't really seen a lot. He's seen the Denmark. He was impressed, of course. Uh, he's seen some cool shit from Frank. He saw the coin trick, but he's not quite sure yet. And and he's the kind of guy who's just going to carry you know a six pack of beer to the fight. Uh, so when he sees Van Dam kind of like preparing mentally while physically kind of getting his body ready, I, I think he's like, okay, this dude's legit. Like even more so than I thought before. I was going to say that if you know a guy knows something that's called the death touch, is there really <laughs> anything left that can impress you? That's true. That's true. And anybody here tried to do the splits like Jean-Claude Van Damme? Uh, yes. And it wasn't so much a voluntary try as a requirement during Taekwondo. Okay. During our warmups, uh, we had a machine as well that was basically, uh, you would seat on it, uh, had like black padding for where your legs would go and you would sit and there was a crank on it and you could crank your legs outward or your sensei could do it for you. Uh, I experienced it both ways and I never made it as perfectly horizontal as Mr. Van Dam did. But uh, yeah, I do not have the elasticity. Uh, I did have the ability to do some pretty good splits, but still nothing as impressive as what was seen there. And those machines uh, there is no give, so you have to adjust or tap out. Well, and, and thankfully, that no uh, permanent damage. You did uh, have a, a child, so you're good. That's true. I am good. All right, so we get to it. Kumite Day One. Uh, the Kumite is sponsored by the Black Dragon Society and the International Fighting Arts Association. Um, it's held every five years. We find out, and it takes place over three days. It's a full contact competition, and there are just a few ways to win. You can knock out your opponent, uh, you can make him say mate, or you knock him off the runway. Um, so it's great, again, just really establish everything, kind of like that the flashback established Frank Dukes' whole backstory. We just real quickly get the, the info we need on this amazing event called the Kumite Chat. Yeah, wouldn't it have been cool if they were like, uh, sponsored by the Black Dragon Society and the International Fighting Arts Association, along with KFC and Monster Energy Drinks. This is the coup. You know what I mean? That would have been. That's like the modern day. Maybe they had a little uh, indoor blimp uh, with Stridex <laughs> on it or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the the protein powder that Vince McMahon used to peddle? Ico Pro. Ico Pro. <laughs> you gotta want it. <laughs> gotta want it. Uh, it's the only way. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool kind of introduction to the tournament because all the all the fighters are sitting in the, in the little tiny bleachers they have, so they're like nut to butt up there. They're like right on top of each other, and Jackson is already kind of like elbowing people and 
and like growling at guys. Um, so you just know he's going to have fun with this. He's trash talking Chong Lee like not too long into it. And yeah, I like what you said about Jackson and the, and the six pack. Cause I just got a vision. He's like the Kumite's uh, captain redneck, Dick Murdoch. <laughs> exactly. Minus the racism. Well, yes, yeah, yes. We don't see it at least. <laughs> um, and yeah, the first fight we get to see old Michelle Kesey. And that, that was a nice little uh, bit for Jean-Claude Van Damme's buddy to kick things off for us. But then, as this thing, this first day goes on, you get Chong Lee, his first fight. He's obviously the crowd favorite. People people love a, a, a champion. And uh, he sets a record of 14.8 seconds. But this record does not last long, Chris. It does not, because the hero of the movie sets the new record, earning the ire of the reigning defending champion, and setting things up for the big climax later in the film. Yeah, and the record for Frank was 12.2 seconds. And who does he beat, Chad Cruz? Conveniently, a great piece of booking here. Yeah, our good friend, Mr. Hussein, the woman abuser, or uh, he, you know, he, he had it on his mind at least. But yeah, not today, baby. And then we get uh, a great piece of business because, um, you know, as, as being a former booker of uh, independent wrestling tournaments always sound like a great, like, Oh, we'll have this epic tournament. But then you realize how many freaking matches it takes to do this and how long this thing would be. Bloodsport solves the problem. We get the Kumite song, which is fight to survive by Stan Bush. And we get a, just a good fight montage. So we could see all these guys going at it, but we don't have to sit there and watch every individual fight. We just get a little flavor for it. And we get that awesome song that will be stuck in your head after you watch this film. Yeah, this is this is probably my favorite montage of the whole film, and it it builds up guys at the same time. It, you know, there's plenty of jobbers in this tournament. I don't I don't know how many competitors were in this tournament. I know you did the odds on all of them that we. I did know. the odds on it. Swan Parades had like uh, sixty to one odds. He was uh, Michelle Keatsy. He had no chance. But uh, yeah, it's all it's all about you know what's your draw, right? Are you in Chung Lee's bracket? Are you in the uh, Pumola and Frank Duke's bracket? Like, where are you at? Because, right, that's true. And we never saw the bracket. I, that'd be interesting. We didn't. It was. And, and I don't remember the at the very end of the film. It it it, it brought up the graphic and it showed like Frank, Duke, the real Frank Dukes, has this record <laughs> of knocking out like three thousand guys in one tournament in one day. In one, in it wasn't three thousand. It wasn't. Well, maybe there were three thousand altogether. But yeah, it's it's like fifty-four knockouts in a single tournament. And like, how many men were in this tournament? And he fought fifty-four times. And and someone did the math on it. I remember finding it online somewhere, and it was like a numerical impossibility. Like my unborn children would have been in this tournament <laughs> in order to make this possible. So yeah, I still think Frank Dukes is full of shit, but. <laughs> yeah, the, the montage is great. The song "Stan Bush" is awesome. I, it's crazy because you see these these uh, these singers who've done, who are kind of uh, known for their soundtrack work. Stan Bush did some awesome songs in Kickboxer and then this and Transformers. The movie was one of his famous ones. That was like his biggest one, I think. Yeah, um, and he's probably done like four versions of that since. I think he like never like breaking out on his own outside of soundtracks is kind of a surprise to me. Especially when you watch, when you listen to, you know, "Fight to Survive" or uh, "Never Surrender" from uh, Kickboxer, or that 
what's uh, Streets of Siam, where you get to see the little naked kids running around. Kickboxer is weird as shit, uh, but <laughs> it's super weird. But uh, yeah, the, the, back to the montage. It's great. Sorry. No, it's that's fine. And yeah, you know, Stan Bush is kind of like the, I don't know, B-level, C-level Kenny Loggins, but yeah. he's, he's awesome. All right. So now we get through night one or day one of the Kumite. And Inspector Chen finds our uh, government dudes, Helmer and Rollins, eating at some awful restaurant. And uh, he says, hey, we found out Frank Dukes is at this hotel, which no kidding. I mean, Jan has found out about this. How these government guys didn't know about it. But anyway, they rush over and uh, we get a little confrontation in the hotel lobby, which then leads to, and I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but it's so amazing. Whoever did this on YouTube, bless your heart. They took this scene where Rollins and Helmer are chasing uh, Frank Dukes through the streets of Hong Kong and set it to the classic Mentos commercial. I have not seen this. And it works perfect. I, I will put this link on the uh, on the site. So anybody else who has not seen it, but yeah, it works perfectly. Those the classic Mentos commercial. But yeah, uh, kind of like the Keystone Cop thing you, you had mentioned, Chris. Yeah, it was just... It was a weird bit of levity in a pretty straightforward action movie because other than some of the banter between, you know, Ray Jackson busting Frank's balls earlier in the film and stuff, this was not really anything that was played for laughs. And then you just had these guys that seemed so out of place in certain aspects by being so goofy. Yeah, it's it's strange and it's added. It's I don't know. It feels kind of like it's it was added at the last moment, like, oh, man this movie is literally just guys fighting each other. <laughs> uh, right. So they just wanted something else different in there. Yeah. we got to change the pace up a bit. Cause you know, if you think about it, Chong Lee as a villain in the film, it isn't until the very end where he does anything villainous. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. He's maybe goes overboard when he like kills a guy in the ring, but <laughs> yeah, just a little, but I mean, just a little overboard. You're right. The, it's the Kumite, right? Like right, it's full like, contact, right? Full contact. Anything can happen. So you, you know what you're getting into when you step in that ring. So it's like, you know, in the end when he, he does some underhanded tactics, like, yeah, okay, bad guy, I guess. But, but until then, there's not a lot going on with Frank other than showing once he gets to Hong Kong, he's there. So now we yeah. need someone to kind of foil him a bit. And this then, you know, once he is, escapes his, his uh, pursuers, he gets to have his dinner date with Janice um, and she spends a good portion of this dinner begging him to get her into the Kumite so she could be there right there and see this with her own eyes and, and you know, give that eyewitness report in her story. Um, but Frank, you know, he sticks to it. He keeps kayfabe. He will not let her come to this thing. Um, but she wants a little something else from Frank Dukes, Chad Cruz. Yes, she does. And, and you know, <laughs> I think that Janice is willing to use any tool in her at her disposal to get what she to get her story. Um, maybe she didn't intend on using this tool. And by tool, I mean vagina <laughs> on Frank. Thank you. I, we were we were unsure you were being vague. OK, sorry. Her vagina. She uses it to on Frank. Um, like a like a net, and she pulls him <laughs> in like a tractor beam in a net, and uh, and but he still doesn't break. You know what I mean? He still keeps kayfabe, like you said, and 
And that next morning, he's even like giving her the old like, take it easy kind of thing. Like he, he gives her the old kiss goodbye and everything. Fall in love on the first try. <laughs> so, and he, you know, he's only planning on being there for like three days anyway. So what does he care? But uh, it's a very odd scene because it takes her credibility as a reporter and just throws it in the, in the trash. Flushes it down the toilet. And the next morning is also the debut of Jean-Claude Van Damme's naked ass a historic moment in cinema. And, you know, we talked earlier, you mentioned it, Chris, Pierre Ruffini, one, one, one appearance in a film, Jean-Claude Van Damme's ass, probably double digits. (laughs) His ass, his ass deserves a SAG card before Pierre Ruffini ever would. Well, he just turned 60. So it's probably does have a SAG. Oh, look at that. All right. So yeah, now we're into, Kumite, day number two. And like you said, Chad, Janice is willing to use whatever tools she has. And sure enough, she manages to get in undercover, uh, which, you know, Frank almost has a little bit of respect for. Like, look at this woman. She is going to get what she wants. And a little respect there. We also get to see Jackson try his uh, hands at the dim mock. Uh, Does it a little bit differently, though, Chris? Yeah, it didn't go as well for him. Little kind of what reminded you of his uh, Revenge of the Nerds character for sure in that moment. Yeah, well, I think pretty much everything Don Gibb does reminds us of good old Ogre. That is true, and yeah, and and for me, yeah, I remember seeing you know like Van Damme. It was the first time, but I'm like, oh, that's the guy from you know that's Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. Knew him. He was one I knew going in. He was the draw, and obviously Bolo as well from Ender the Dragon. And he was still drinking beer, like even from. Revenge of the Nerds. Just, yeah, it's probably the same beer. beer yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get another fighting montage, which, of course, we need to have. And then we get Frank Dukes, who also kind of in his next fight shows us he's willing to uh, bend the rules a little bit because we get the famous low blow scene, Chad. Yeah, he kind of he, he, he finally runs into someone who uh, who was a bit of a struggle for him. You know, Pumola, I believe is his name. He's the big sumo looking dude who's. If you like in my mind as a kid, he's this big fat bastard, but watching it now, I'm like, dude's pretty jacked. Like he's not fat. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a, he wasn't, he wasn't Yokozuna level. Right. He's a big, thick, muscular dude and he's breaking people's backs and beating the crap out of guys. And then, uh, and Frank finally runs into him and, you know, slowly, but surely starts ripping some of his clothes off. And that, that just powers him up. That's like, uh, you're fueling him uh, as a, as a fighter. And he finally gets to break out that movie he's been practicing, which is the splitted tiger uppercut to the scrotum. I think it's really powerful. <laughs> Very good. Very technical, Chad. Thank you. And, you know, and it's moves like that. That is no wonder the crowd starts to sway over to the Frank Dukes uh, side of business. And they're really getting into Frank Dukes. He is becoming the tournament darling. Um, and then we get another piece of great booking because we have Ray Jackson take on Chong Lee and Chris. This is a pivotal matchup in this tournament and really changes everything. That's right, because Ray is a big sweetheart. He's befriended our hero and the jealous dominant champion decides to teach everybody a lesson as to fa- how far he's willing to go by beating the ever loving crap out of Ray Jackson. And stealing the Harley Davidson bandana as well. Oh. Symbolic. 
a trophy he, for his collection. Oh, he spit on the flag. Yeah, that's right. And and so Jackson's in the hospital. Um, you know, Frank and Janice go there with them. They get in a little bit of an argument. And then we get yet another montage. This one I like to call the reflection montage. Mm. And again, a, another Stan Bush song here, On My Own, Alone. Very, a ballad of sorts. Yes, another awkward moment following up uh, somebody's crippling with uh, with a ballad, because you know, if <laughs> if you're thinking about your big burly biker friend being crippled, something tells me that this particular song by Mr. Stan Bush should not be the first one that pops into your head. But then again, I watched Cage with Lou Ferrigno and Reb Brown, which kicked off with a ballad after Lou had been shot in the head in Vietnam. So what do I know? I think the relationship between Jackson and Dukes is at the center of this film, uh, whereas. Dukes and Janice are just a, you know, a throwaway, you know, just kind of having some fun on the side. I mean, at the end of the film, there's a, a multiple, you know, several minute scene where Frank and Jackson are like, if you ever need anything, I will be, you know what I mean? Whereas Janice, he's just like, doesn't even say, he just waves from a distance. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. It was real baby. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he, I think it, he even tells Ray that he loves him. Yeah, so this ballad is is some real shit. Like he, he tells Ray, he never told Janice that that we no, heard. No, could this be uh, the original bromance? I think so. I maybe not. You know, Butch Cassidy might have had that one. Him and the Sunday oh, Schedule. Yeah. But this one's there. I, I think that he's reflecting on. You know, Shingo was was there from as a kid in a way, but he wasn't like a best friend. He was a training partner. And so he's never really. Right. Had I mean, Shingo was calling him round eye. They were, they didn't oh, always yeah. get along. So Jackson's the first, the first guy who's ever been there for him and, and has been, you know, the, uh, the Cato to his green Hornet. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's there, like he's attacking dudes that he doesn't even know who have tasers. Like he's chugging beers alongside him. He'll drink to anything. So I think it's his boy. And as a reflection montage, you know, it works in two ways. Yes, he's reflecting on their relationship together, but he's also seeing reflections of Chong Li in the window. So it's perfect. And now here we are, Kumite, day number three. This is the final day of competition. But before Frank could get into the uh, arena, you got our old Helmer, Rollins, and the Hong Kong police. And Helmer and Rollins once again have their stun guns, but things go quite wrong for them. Uh, with a little, what was it, a garbage can lid? little uh, Captain America action there by Frank Dukes? Yeah, deflecting the tasers after running a Hong Kong police gauntlet by sidekicking a guy and then kicking the door so that he was trapped behind it. Apparently doorknobs do not function properly in Hong Kong. Uh, <laughs> the, the gauntlet scene from Mission of Justice, this was not. No. Yeah, and you would, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Frank probably should have been put in jail for attacking police. Oh yeah. But, but you know, he won the, he won the Kumite. So just let him go home. Yeah, get, get him out of our hair. So we get Frank though. He does make it in. We get to see Frank versus Paco. And we just saw Paco. Was that in uh what, what do we see him in? Chad? Stone cold. Stone cold. There you go. What? Yeah. So the last one we just saw. Yeah. Oh yeah. He played uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the guy who, who got deported and somehow <laughs> magically returned. Okay. I remember we just saw the man. All right, so we get that. That's our semifinal match for Frank. 
Which is an awesome fight, by the way. It might be my my favorite single fight in the whole in the whole film because they had that kicking scene that my brother and I did hundreds of times as kids. We would do the Paco scene with the kicks next, you know, kicking each other in the side, and then we would do the uh, the the split nut shot and the mock to the belly, like all the time. Like I guarantee, if he walked through the door right now and he's thirty eight, today's his birthday. Happy birthday! Uh, and I did the old like belly shot, he would sell it like Pumola. Now that reminds me of an old story that the Hardy boys talked about in an interview where they were kids and they would practice as they called it, the Sean razor spot from the WrestleMania 10 ladder match. And I'm just picturing you and your brother being like, let's run the show the, uh, Frank Paco spot again. We would do it over and over again. We got, to. Uh... Chong Lee semifinal match. And this is what you, you had mentioned this earlier, Chad, you kind of glossed over it because it's no big deal to Chad Cruz. Cause he was, you know, he was in blood sport mode with his brother, but Chong Lee actually kills his opponent. And at first the crowd loves it. They are, they love it. They're like, yes, this is what we paid for. We wanted to see Chong Lee kill somebody and, and they got to see it. But then when the officials kind of turn their back, uh, the crowd like takes notice and then everybody turns their back on Chong Lee. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird scene. You, there's a point in the tournament, you know, where everybody kind of jumps on the Frank Duke's bandwagon. And this, this part of the film really cements the fact that they've all moved on from Chong Lee. Like he's like an extremist, right? You know, he's, he's just too much. And uh, especially to do it this late in the tournament, because the duty fought, whose name I can't remember, but he had big gold shiny pants, uh, which big gold shiny pants means no chance of winning. Uh, but yeah, once Chung Lee kills this guy, uh, there's no going back for him. Well, yeah, you you almost think he did it because he, he saw that the crowd was was turned. So he's like, he needed something to get his the attention back, the, the spotlight back on him. And then he tries to, to, I don't know if he tries to create a cool handshake with the referee. <laughs> Remember, he's like grabs his hand and does a weird thing and he raises his hand in the air. I'm like, what is he doing? But as you would say, Mr. Brain, it was a great b- bit of booking because it was the evolution of Chong Lee going from defending champion badass into just kind of becoming unstable and obsessive with winning again at all costs. And it was also cool to see something a little differently. Because normally in the types of movies like Bloodsport and like the types of martial arts action movies featuring tournaments, usually it's the crowd that is into the illegal activity and the bloodshed and the bloodlust. And here it kind of added a bit more to the evolution of that turn of becoming the major heel because now it wasn't this evil audience that was watching this tournament. It was that everybody was tired of his BS and wanted to see Frank Dukes put him down once and for all. Yeah, they were there for the competition, and they, I think they liked that. And yeah, and, and there's this here's this guy, this you wouldn't expect an American to come in or whatever Frank Dukes is <laughs> to come in and, and win the thing. Uh, but you know, here we are, here we are, and here we literally are. It's the finals, it's Frank Dukes versus Chong Lee. Chong Lee, you know, it's like WrestleMania, you gotta, you gotta change up your gear. He comes out, he's got the Jackson's bandana around his leg. It's badass. It it's like Rick Rude wearing you know the Cheryl Roberts on his tights. Cheryl Roberts in the tights, dude. It's perfectly placed and it's right. It it hits you in all the spots that it's supposed to hit you because when he puts that bandana on, he could have shot Janice with a, a revolver 
and Frank wouldn't have cared. But as soon as he put that bandana around his leg, it it was on and Frank was pissed. So, but at the same time, that was part of the whole gimmick, right? I'm, I'm going to take him out of his element. I'm going to break up his focus and I'm going to turn him into a psychopath before this fight. Cause that, that'll kill his fight game. Um, but Frank kind of stays in, stays in the game. Um, and Chong has to kind of resort to something else to do it. And then there was one element of Frank's training from early on in the film that didn't come into play until now, Chris, and Frank is blinded. And now we see why he, he had to learn how to serve the tea with the blindfold on and all that. Perfectly. They really set everything up at the beginning there. Yeah. It all comes full circle. Chang Lee was uh, watching his Mr. Fuji tapes before the Kumite <laughs> and throws a, a pinch of salt into Frank's eyes. And now in uh, a wonderful bit of overacting, which I'm sure you could find a clip of this final fight on YouTube to enjoy <laughs> Van Damme's slow motion panicked reaction, uh, or at least what he was at least trying to get across to be a panicked reaction. He is now completely blind. He's up against this monster who has killed an opponent already and will do anything he can to win. And how will he defeat him? By utilizing that blindfold training from earlier, from his youth, to go on to start whooping some Chong Lee ass. And we even get that uh, WrestleMania 7 uh, blindfold match moment where Frank's, you know, wandering around, grabs the ref, but he realized, oh, wait, Chong Lee doesn't wear a shirt, so I know this isn't Chong Lee. And, you know, that's a classic blindfold match spot used perfectly here in Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have, for him to have smelled him and, like, smelled the difference. That would have been cool. All right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an entirely different uh, shirtless competition, Chad. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, not bad. What, which podcast is this again? Yeah, this is the Bulletproof <laughs> Podcast. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so uh, Chong Lee says it. He says Matei. So you want to beat Chong Lee. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate way to beat the man. I mean, he's the, what, how many times? Five times champion or something? Which would mean he's. That's another thing that doesn't make sense. If this was every five years, was it? Five, I thought it was three years. No, it was supposedly every five years. Five so years. he's a five-time champion. <laughs> right. That's twenty-five years. So apparently, he entered his first Kumite at age seven. No, right, dude. He was like forty at this point, and his, he was pretty okay. Old. So he's only fit, he was a teenager. He ended yeah, oh yeah, Mister Teenage Kumite. Yeah. While Pierre Ruffini was getting the lid of his cap cut <laughs> off, he was winning Kumites. I love it. Teenage Kumite is something you should probably Google search now because there's probably some cool YouTube videos of kids beating the shit out of each other. I mean, there was a movie called Teenage Kickboxer and College Kickboxers. We could do College Kumite. Frank Dukes makes Chong Lee say Mate, which is the ultimate way to win. Yeah, it's like beating it's like beating Bret Hart at a submission match. You know, it's like, uh, or yeah, it's like what this guy who won't quit and never dies. Let's make him submit. Like a punk. Right. There's really no room for a rematch when, when something like that happens. I mean, there is, but there isn't. You know, there's... Seeing the, see five years. <laughs> it's not like, you know, if he fell off the platform, that'd be kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of a... Yeah. That, that could have been a fluke thing, but right. this is no fluke. This was definitive. Uh, we get the, the nice victory ceremony. Um, Frank gets, the, gets his own sword. And again, this whole thing started where it seemed like uh, Frank was trying to steal uh, Shidoshi t- 
Tanaka's sword, but that was not the case. And then we get to visit Jackson in the hospital, and that's what we were talked about this earlier. Well, you mentioned it, Chad, where they basically pledge to be there for each other anytime, any place. And Frank gives him the bandana back. And interestingly enough, Jean-Claude Van Damme telling somebody else to keep their clothes on. Uh, <laughs> somewhat ironic. Yes, indeed. And uh, it really is. a it's, it's a really touching scene. Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh, touchy moments in this film, as there shouldn't be because it's a fighting film and uh you know we don't really see frank and his parents we don't see frank and chidoshi doing anything other than fighting each other essentially um so he's like you know you treated me like a son whatever but him and ray in their short two three four days of knowing each other create a bond and yeah they really kind of pull all pull out all the stops here in this last scene together and they do everything, everything but make out essentially. And it almost makes you wish there was more, you know, you see that and it's like, Oh, you want to make out. You want to no, I would, oh. there, there was, there was more movies, like another, oh. another movie with these two, two, two characters in because they did have such good chemistry. Yeah. They should have made blood sport too. Right. Well, they did, but, Oh, okay. <laughs> but not, not with Van Damme, but, but Donald Gibb did return. So, uh, we go to the airport. We talked about this as well. Uh, just kind of gives Janice the little, little nod, um, and messes with his boys, Helmer and Rollins. One more time. We should point out Helmer and Rollins after they could not capture, they just sat in the front row too. They were just like enjoying it, which we kind of see it, with the police. Yeah. Everybody's there. It's just, it, they kind of repeat this in, uh, in Lionheart, you know, the two guys yeah. uh, from the French foreign legion when one, which was Michelle Kesey, uh, to come looking for him, and it just it's a yeah, like you said, Chad. A lot of what happens here gets repeated throughout the the career of Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, and you also mentioned this earlier too, Chad. The we then get all the facts because again, this was based on a true story, the truth belonging to Frank Dukes. I I actually pulled up the records. I'd like to read them for you. <laughs> Please do. Uh, he, Mr. Duke still holds four world records, according to Bloodsport. Uh, the fastest knockout, which was 3.2 seconds, which is bullshit. Uh, the fastest punch with a knockout, 0.12 seconds, which who timed that? Right. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any sort of stopwatches at the kumite maybe frank was actually holding his own stopwatch and throwing a punch with the free hand <laughs> yeah that could be it. the only way it could have been time because to get into the tournament he had to break a bunch of bricks and and now they're timing their punches but and then there's oh yeah not just timing but speed the fastest kick with a knockout 72 miles per hour yeah i, I didn't see one of those radar gimmicks in there either no and i tend to think they wouldn't have used miles miles per hour per hour US not in hong kong right no yeah. and then the the one that to me is the most bs one is the most consecutive knockouts in a single tournament which was 56 yeah which would mean there is like 40 trillion people in this tournament <laughs> so that means if it's 60 fighters he beat up everybody except for that means only three people were left standing, not counting himself. And I saw it. Hold on. I'm going to find it now. I saw someone did the math and I will tell you what it is by the time I finish this sentence, because I am currently looking for it. Okay. I got it. 
in order to have 56 consecutive knockouts in a single elimination tournament, you would need 72, well, let's just say this, over 72 quadrillion fighters <laughs> to participate. I, I don't understand this math, but uh, yeah. I know Macho Man had to fight four guys Ooh, at WrestleMania yeah. 4, and that was a 16, well, it was a 14, but it was under the 16-man bracket. So yeah, I don't know. I want to see a, a Scott Steiner-style Pro, like a promo, like when we started this tournament, you had a point zero 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 one point two percent chance of beating me. Yeah, I, I think that's where Frank did did his math. Maybe he had Scott Professor Steiner uh, help him out with the math. All right, guys, la- uh, final thoughts on Bloodsport. It's a classic. I mean, what more needs to be said? It welcomed the world to Van Damme mania. It is a great fight film. It is a great buddy film, as evidenced by the relationship with Ray Jackson and Frank Dukes. Uh, it's full of bullshit, but it is still damn entertaining. Quality bullshit. Mm. Bullshit you can enjoy over and over again. Thing that always, you know, you've heard stories, you know, since in, in recent years mostly about Menachem Golan, uh, who is the, the canon guru. And then Cannon was the distributor of this film. Actually, Bloodsport was number one on our, our Cannon countdown, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and, and rightfully so. But Menachem Golan, who certainly uh, may have had a reputation of being wrong, but it was usually being wrong because he thought something was going to be so awesome, and it wasn't. In this case, it was reverse. He called Jean-Claude Van Damme poison, <laughs> and that he would destroy any movie he was in, and that Bloodsport was going to be a complete flop, and when it wasn't, Menachem did a, a 180 and was like, oh, remember, I have you signed for, for two more movies. You're like, he didn't want to even, he's just like, whatever. He just kind of gave him this movie to get him out of his hair. But yeah, I mean, glad he did because, again, this this is what did it. This made Van Damme a star. Yeah, despite what Cannon probably wanted to happen, you know, this film was a success. And then, uh, you know, later on, you know, he got into the, to the cutting room of Cyborg and, and made that. Um, what it turned out to be and not the piece of shit that Albert Pune would have made it. But it, yeah, I mean, the guy definitely had an eye for fight scenes. He had an eye for, for editing. Um, I don't know where it came from because he was so young and, and young in the business, but Bloodsport, it, it's one of those movies that, I mean, it's gotta be, if it's not the best fighting movie, like tournament fighting film ever made, then it's up there top two or three. Right. The only thing that could beat it would be Enter the Dragon. Yeah. And that's to me, even that's even a stretch because that movie is a Bruce Lee film first and foremost. And then everyone else is just kind of side characters. Yeah. I know Jim Kelly's there and uh, uh, Pat John, John Saxon. Saxon, John Saxon's there. Um, but it's not, you don't have this, this cast of stereotypes and these characters that have, have gimmicks and stuff. It, it just doesn't feel like, and maybe it's because I grew up on Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. That is different, but Bloodsport is just, it's unbelievable. The montages are great. Just, I love it. And I, I'll continue to uh, perform the splitted tiger uppercut to the scrotum until the day I die. <laughs> what a wonderful uh, way to end our Bloodsport conversation. Uh, but before we end the show, uh, let's talk a little bit about your problem, Chris. You are addicted to Dollar Tree. Another great Dollar Tree DVD haul. Uh, a lot of horror this time around. Probably doing, uh, yeah, doing it due to 
the uh, season that we're in, entering Halloween season, but uh, some pretty good scores. I mean, you cannot beat Killer Clowns from Outer Space on Blu-ray for a dollar. I'm glad you brought up Halloween, too, because the next episode of the Bulletproof Podcast, which, Chad, do you understand that is going to be our season one finale? We have seasons? Yes, this is our first season. We're wrapping it up. First year. And it's going to be Chopping Mall. RTG will be joining us again. Excellent. And I, I know he's ready because RTG and Jim Wynorski, the director of Chopping Mall, have a lot in common, for sure. Um, but before we get into that, Chris, did you have anything you want to tell us about uh, Figures Toy Company? Of course. Are, are you here to tell us about the Bloodsport figures that you're making? Uh, don't I wish. Don't I wish. See, every every podcast we do that figure fantasy booking, and it's always <laughs> fun to do. And then the next day I wake up depressed knowing that there's going to be something that will prevent those from getting off the ground. You know, I'm just trying to will these things into existence. I hope much, you know. Much like I have done for 20 years with Saved by the Bell figures. You know, we're already uh, we're at Halloween season, which means Christmas season is right around the corner. So if you're going to start doing some of that holiday shopping online, you can check out figurestoycompany.com for all of your retro action figure needs from DC Comics, Hanna-Barbera, Kiss, The Three Stooges, and a whole lot more. If you're a wrestling fan, you can also find plenty of wrestling merchandise. We hold the license for Ring of Honors, replica belts, and action figures, as well as our in-house lines of the Rising Stars of Wrestling and the Legends of Professional Wrestling, action figures for Mikey Whipwreck, the franchise Shane Douglas, Trent, Chuck Taylor, Jeff Cobb, the Kiss Demon from WCW, Dalton Castle, Moose, ACH. A whole ton of figures are in stock now with more on the way. We are expecting some in before Christmas Day, so you could probably get your hands on the Scott Norton, the Francine, they are, will be added to the Legends line. Uh, also looking forward to releasing Joey Janela, Shane Strickland, new ROH figures for Jay Lethal and the Briscoes in the coming months. Just stay tuned to figurestoycompany.com. Check us out on social media, on Twitter, at Figures Toy Co. We also own and operate Wrestling Superstore. You can follow us on Twitter there, at WRES underscore Superstore. And if you want to check out the things that I'm doing at Figure Story Company on my personal page, if you want to follow along with my No Surrender Cinema reviews for Bulletproof Action, and if you want to see what other pools I'm dipping my toes into, check me out at Zach Malibu. All right, Chad Cruz, do you have anything? Oh, you do, Chad. I do. I do. What about uh, your book? Yes, I have recently published my very first children's picture book. And it is phenomenal. And I just received uh, the very first copy of it last week. And then today I, I brought in the, the, the full shipment of books that came on a gigantic pallet. Uh, so I have loads and loads of books to sell. So go online to bookhogpress.com and check out my very first kid's book. It is uh, uh, really random for me to write a children's book uh, and uh, it kind of defies expectations of what a person can do with such a filthy mouth. But uh, yeah, it's been a fun experience and I'm, I'm actually going to be doing some, uh, some local television tomorrow to help promote it as well. So that should be fun. There you go. And yeah, it, 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 it is a shock and it isn't because if anybody's ever read a Chad Cruz review, you know, he uh, maybe an elementary level. <laughs> <laughs> zero to four. It's a zero to four book. So it works out perfectly. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to mention is even if you don't have uh, kids yourself or in your family, you, you can actually, there's an option to donate a book 
to uh, to a couple of different charities as well, which is what I did because you did. Thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, and you know, so if you're out there and you just want to help out and, and help out some good causes, you could check out the the site there and uh, donate a book. All right. So for Christine Petrillo and Chad Cruz, I am Chris the Brain. Thank you as always for listening, and stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.